Did you know that Vietnam is the world's largest producer and exporter of cashew nuts? We'll discuss this and other interesting facts about Vietnamese cuisine and culture with Paul B. Kennedy on this episode of The Curious Professor. I'm Dr. B. Welcome to the Curious Professor podcast, where I take listeners on a journey of discovery to explore the people, places, artifacts, and natural wonders that spark my curiosity. On this episode of the Curious Professor podcast, we'll discuss the Vietnamese and their unique cuisine with culinary artist Paul B. Kennedy. But first, a trivia question. How many ethnic groups are there in Vietnam? I'll have the answer for you at the end of this episode. I'm thrilled to have Paul B. Kennedy on the show today. For the past 30 years, Paul has been working in the restaurant business, bringing together delicious foods and atmospheres where customers create their own memories. Growing up in Northern Virginia, Paul went off to study hospitality management at East Carolina University, followed by culinary arts at Johnson & Wales University. After his education, he departed to New York City, where he continued to establish himself in the restaurant world, while also homing in his love of writing and photography. In 2018, with a backpack and some inspiration, Paul cashed in his proverbial chips and took off to see the world. The inspiration clearly worked because he never returned. His journey of uncertainty found its purpose of exploring and what the world has to offer. Paul is currently working on a cookbook about Vietnam's food and culture that will be available this year. When I learned about Paul's passion for food and travel, my curiosity was immediately piqued and I wanted to learn more. I hope this interview with Paul will spark your curiosity too. Welcome to the show, Paul. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Karen. Uh, This is great. This is great. Greetings from Hanoi. Greetings from Vietnam. And what's the most unique thing about you? Most unique thing about me? Um, uh, For most people, it's just the fact that I live in Vietnam. Really. That's... That's for most people's eyes or thoughts. It's the fact that I live in Vietnam. So that, that might be it because other people's perceptions are, is how reality works sometimes. And how long have you lived in Vietnam? I've been in Vietnam. I'm going on my fourth year this year. And how's it going? It. I love it. It's amazing. It's such, have you been here? No. It is stunning. It's beautiful. It's full of so much culture. It's just every day is a learning experience. It really is. I, I cannot. I cannot express how great it is here. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have lived here for this long if it wasn't. I actually remember living in New York, saying, "Where do people move after New York?" Thinking that's the number one city. We never thought we would leave. I never thought I'd leave. But I remember distinctly having that conversation. And well, here I am in Vietnam. <laughs> what sparked your interest in Vietnam specifically? It's really the, the culture is just so, it's, I'm a kid in a candy store. It's just so, every day is something unique and it's a great learning experience. And it's for where I am in Vietnam, which is Hanoi, it's a city. So it's about the same size as New York, but it's so different. 
And when I say different, at the end of the day, the parallels are very similar and we all are similar. But in appearance, uh, the day-to-day rituals and appearances are, are complete opposite of what I'm used to. But it hasn't gotten old. I'm still learning and I'm still experiencing. I'm still enjoying it. So that's four years into it that every day I go outside, I just, I, I came and listen to music on my iPhone because I want to experience the sounds. That's pretty good for four, for four years. New York, I, I didn't do that for, I think, six months. Vietnam, I'm four years later, I do not listen to music. I want to hear the sounds around me. So. You state um, to appreciate the culture, you must understand the food. And to appreciate the food, you must understand the culture. Tell us more what you mean by that. Sometimes with traveling, it takes a long time for me to not only digest what I've experienced, not literally, but um, the, the experiences are so overwhelming. And what you, the takeaway is even greater. And if you understand the basics of what is part of everyone's day-to-day life, you really understand their history. Now, I'll tell you, this did not hit me until, I don't know, I'll try to keep the story kind of pleasant, but I had seen a, um, an accident on the highway here in Vietnam, and the motorbike was on its side. The person, the driver, was trapped, and there was an unfortunate accident, but I saw the, the bag of rice that the person was carrying. And it was ripped open and spilled all over the, the, the road. I remember thinking all I could imagine was that family without the rice for the month. And I know if I saw the exact same situation in the U.S. where there was an accident and someone's groceries were on the side of the road, I would never consider, never give it a second thought that, well, someone's not getting those groceries. Whereas this situation, I, I really, I was, every grain of rice, I just, uh, it meant something. And it really hit me because this was after, granted, that I've been to a rice field and I, I saw people stealing rice and what they could take and what they couldn't. So I understand the value of the every grain. I, I see people eat every grain of rice. I've always heard that growing up, you know, make sure you finish everything on your plate because there's people star- starving across the world. But it's more the, the understanding of that's their that's not only their life, that's their history, rice is, food is. So once you start delving into more so in a country that has so much history like Vietnam, then trying to understand the hamburger in the US, you won't get as much out of it. Then you realize, oh, well, you know, the hamburger is relatively new and the country's relatively new in comparison to the rest of the world. You know, that kind of relates. But when you stop to look at the food, it really means you're taking time out to try to understand the people. And that's where it all ties together. Yeah, I like that connection that you made between history and culture and people and food and how those things are so interconnected and how we kind of lack that in the United States because we're so fast food oriented and, and <laughs> food, food, you know, you, you buy junk food at a dollar store. It doesn't exactly hold the same meaning as, you know, a culture that may have had a food for 3000 years. And it's funny because fast food here, when chains do open, fat food is more expensive. So everyone's, no one goes there. If only it was the same in the U S unfortunately, 
capitalism has figured out a way to keep those prices low and keep fresh foods expensive. <laughs> it's that's a whole different gamut. That's a whole different ballgame. But here, luckily, they will never be too heavily influenced by fast food. They the farm to table is truer here than anything I've seen in the US because it literally that's why the food is so different in every region in, in Vietnam but it's completely different in every village because they only use the ingredients that are right there, maybe driven in a short distance, but that's how they make their food. And it's so much more healthier <clears throat> than the every, type of food processing uh, that we have in the United States and North America, really. But, you know, Canada is not that much better than we are in the U.S. But, you know, when we're, when we're shipping things 3,000 miles to consume and the processing that you have to do to be able to keep it fresh is, is not healthy. We would keep apples for a year in warehouses in the U.S. A year apples store in a warehouse before you, you purchase them. One year. So it's crazy. But yes, the, the food here is, is they'll kill an animal. It's night and day. They kill an animal and they, you, they sell it that day. You do not buy that leftover pork. They do not sell that leftover pork or chicken the next day. At the end of the day, you'll get people who have a, a freezer. They'll buy it and they'll, they'll store it for a cheaper price. But the meat you buy was killed that day. The, the vegetables you buy, same, they, they do the same thing. They'll sell their, what they have left over at the end of the day for a cheaper price. But everything, you go shopping every day. I showed a can opener to someone. I've never seen a can here, by the way, ever, ever. I've never seen one. Doesn't I, They have them in the expat areas in their stores. So I have to say I have seen them in those grocery stores. But I've never seen one. And I don't really associate that much with foreigners like me. But in a local house, I've never seen a can. Ever, ever. And, and no, so my local friends, meaning Vietnamese friends, um, didn't even know what a can opener did because they've never seen a can. So that's, that's a huge difference between, or a jar, or a jar. When we buy spices, they come in little plastic bags. And when you get uh, beverage on the street, they come in, they reuse, they re reuse plastic bottles that us foreigners will throw away. So it's, you don't see the same packaging because it's not part of the, the sales chain, the purchasing chain. So yeah, no cans, never a can opener. Think about that. Look at what's in your cabinet probably. Well, and, and how much better that is for the environment is <laughs> a whole oh, other yeah. podcast too. Uh, yeah, the, all of these are so good, so can go so deep. But yes, there's the recycling. I took a um, some plastic containers with me you know, longer story, but I was using them to take essentially a food product to a hotel. But when I was returning, I said, do you want these plastic containers back to my friend? And the response, which still I can't stop thinking about the response was, why wouldn't I? <laughs> they were just plastic. And it was probably some plastic, some food product that I bought that came in a plastic container, to be honest. That they ended up, I ended up giving to them because I had no use for it. But the response is, why wouldn't you bring it back? Why would you throw it away? Because it can be reused. And I think about that all the time with my actions. Why would I throw that away? Why would I not reuse it? And it really hits home because there's a lot. 
and I look at my cabinets now, I've got all these plastic containers. The only plastic containers that I have are ones when I went to something like a, a 7-Eleven Circle K convenience store and purchased something, who knows why. That's a leftover byproduct of that. I have the empty container and it's constantly reused. But my friend just goes, why, would, why wouldn't you bring it? I, I'm confused. Why would you not bring it back? It's like, oh, <laughs> so it's that simple. Why would you not? Why would you not? That simple. So here I am drinking my tea in a, from a recycled water bottle, reused water bottle at this moment. I have read that there are five shades of flavor in Vietnamese cuisine. Can you tell us about those? I don't know of five shades of Vietnamese cuisine, but I'm going to look into it. What are they? I don't know. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> no, and I, five shades of Vietnamese cuisine. Yeah, I read that on a website. Not your website, obviously, but. <laughs> That's very intriguing. You know, I, I was looking into, it's funny that you said that because I'm dealing with shades right now because of the book um, with colors, uh, more with the exterior um, shades that I always encounter in photos. But I, the food, no, it, I would say gray, something gray and something brown, because there's not a lot, there's going to be one red chili, Fresno pe pepper, uh, bird's eye chili, and everything else is going to be a green. Uh, shades, I don't know. There's going to be a green for the greens. There's going to be red for the chili pepper. And then the rest is going to be some sort of, they boil everything. So gray's got to be one of them. <laughs> gray is a god, gray and brown are are must-haves. The food is not appealing to your eyes. The um, so I'm working on this cookbook, and the, the agent said, "Can you take some um, more pictures of the, the desserts because they look the they all look the same?" And I was thinking, they they are all the same. they all have the same ingredients. They, there's nothing. They're just they are all the same. And then you add crushed ice to them when if you want it to be cool once you're done once you serve it. But yeah, a lot of the food is very, very similar. The, um, the actual savory part, the meats, the proteins are all boiled. Everything's boiled. Um, but they don't, um, they're, they still get nutrition from it because they drink. I, I shouldn't say they anymore. We will drink the boiled water like we do water. But I, I did that in the US too. I would boil my vegetables and essentially just drink that water. So that's not new to me. <clears throat> so they get their nutrients, but yeah, everything, I should say gray, brown, red, green. I don't know what the fifth one would be. It has to be white because of the coconut. Five, not five shades, but five colors. Five colors of Vietnamese cuisine are officially, now that I'm stating the answer, <laughs> are red, green, um, white, and then the, the less appealing brown and gray. So tell us about one of the more unique foods that Vietnamese people eat. One of the most or more unique foods, well, dog, dog, no judgment, guys, no judgment. Everyone has an opinion. This is their culture. Um, the joke is, and some you might hear it occasionally while I'm speaking with you, you might hear dog barking. The joke is always, oh, someone's making dinner. No, dog is unique and they're, they're waning. They're they're slowly getting away from that due to Western influences. But I think it's unique because that's our culture in the U.S. that is not common, not acceptable. So to me, that is unique. Other than that, I think more of the cooking method. I think a lot of the foods and the ingredients are similar. Just the fact that they can, can and don't want, they have different cook ideas of how to cook. 
So I personally bought a stove, but no locals I know have stoves and even ovens. No one, even new construction, don't they don't come with ovens. And and when I ask why wouldn't you, same same response, like why would I want an oven? We don't cook with an, with an oven. Why would I want one? So the food, I don't know. The cooking is the most unique. The fact that almost everything's boiled and preferred chewy. That is unique to me. Yes, they have some odd choices of food in the villages, smaller villages up in the mountains where they might take the intestines or take all of the animal parts and mix it in the stomach with the blood and make basically like a, like we would do a potato salad. That's their side dish. They'll, they have a lot of rustic dishes because it's an older culture um, that doesn't have the same influences from the outside world like we do. But I think the cooking method is surprising that food is boiled and preferred chewy, gray and brown. <laughs> so they're do even cr uh, making meats boiled? Mm -hmm. Yes. So tying in, backing up to that, the oven, I, we made chicken and just, I thought I would expose my local friends to some food that we make or how we cook it. But they had chicken and cooked how we would in the U.S. And they were going, I thought they were going to throw up because it wasn't chewy and they just didn't feel safe. The exact same response if I gave someone raw chicken in the U.S. where they would eat it, want to throw up before they ate it. Once they did chew it, they want to spit it out. Even after they chew it out, they think they're going to get sick. Exact same response with a piece of chicken the way we would cook it in the U.S. Exact same. They just, it's preferred chewy. And we can say, I have said to them, well, you know, there is a, a standard or global uh, way to cook it. It's globally accepted, say a scopula or someone, but that still doesn't tie into what they want. They prefer boiled. They want boiled. They want chewy, period. End of story. So yes, I can tell them, well, this is how you braise something properly, but that's nice. That's not what they want, not what they accept. Um, so I get it. I get it. It's their culture. It's their culture. And I appreciate it. So how do you define street food? And what are some Vietnamese street foods? Here, it's more intertwined with regular restaurant food. Because the restaurants, every almost every home has a restaurant in its home. So the first floors of most homes are also businesses. And they sell typically, well, if they sell food, they'll sell it also on the sidewalk. So here it's, it's uh, the line's a little blurry as to what's street food and what's restaurant food. Most of what you hear about here is restaurant food versus Thailand that might be actual street food. So if you go on a restaurant, a street food tour here, we'll probably go restaurant hopping. Um, and typical, same, because of that, it's still the banh mi, it's still fun. It's still the, the Vietnamese spring rolls. Those are the dishes that Vietnam's known for. And those are the three street food, air quotes, items you'll see the most of. And people want, people want. And what is your favorite Vietnamese dish? I love pho. I can eat it every day. And the same, <laughs> the same response with that, why would you? I was explaining, I was thinking, how can you eat soup every day? Their response, meaning they being locals, Vietnamese here, 
in a different conversation, were surprised about us eating sandwiches for lunch every day or salads. Why would you eat a sandwich or a salad every day for lunch? Why? Like, same. The parallel is there. It's why would you eat a sandwich every day? Even though they have banh here, it's not something like in the U.S. where lunchtime is typically A or B, super salad or, or more so the, the sandwich. So our, what we consider, what we don't consider limitations is the same here. They don't think it's odd to have soup for every meal. They just don't. And it's, I don't think it is either now. I get it. And I enjoy it. On your website, you state there are no locals on the beach except before sunrise or after sunset. What is the reason for that? The sun. They don't want the sun. They don't want a tan. They don't want the harm to the sun. They don't want the aging. So it's super nice because these beaches are empty. Not a soul. Not a soul on the beach. If you go into a tourist area, like maybe Hoi An, you might see it. You might see other people on the beach but literally i'll go on these very long wide beaches and no one around come 5 30 p.m place is packed you can't even walk the the water is also just so full you can't even find find a spot and they do go at, at sunrise but more so sunset they go out in droves so another way it's that is an opposite of we're <laughs> crowding on the beach at the height of the sun well yeah because at first it's a little it's a little alarming because you look around and you're where was you know are there sharks in the water is there bacteria in the water what's happening here but yeah they just don't want the sun and if you've ever seen them uh, people driving on the motorbikes they will the stoplight could be 500 feet ahead of you but if there's no shade on the highway between where you are and the, and the stoplight, they stop wherever the shade stops. So if the shade on the highway stops 500 feet before the stoplight, then traffic stops 500 feet because they don't wait at a traffic light in the sun. So you'll have this whole empty area. And when you don't know what's going on, you think, why, why are there no motorbikes? There's so much space between us and the traffic light. It could be a thousand feet. It doesn't matter. You stop where the shade stops on the highway. <laughs> Very interesting. No sun. But yes, they'll, even if it's uh, the hottest day of the year, they will have, they'll be completely made up with, uh, so you can't see any part of their skin. So I took a picture of someone making a delivery once. Um, I posted it. I think they're delivering laundry. And my, my niece responded, I think you're being robbed. Because the person is completely, <laughs> just, you have no idea who this person is, and they're walking into your business. Um, no, no skin showing. But yeah, she said, I think you're being robbed right now. <laughs> so what is next for you? What are you most excited about right now? I'm excited about potentially traveling. I enjoy Vietnam. and I'll probably stay here or I'm considering staying here as a home base because I love it so much, but I would like to venture out and travel more. I have been traveling still within Vietnam a lot because it's super easy still. And so many less people. It's so much easier to travel when there's no one around. I'll go to these huge, it would be the equivalent of going to Disneyland and not a soul there. So I'll go to these, these tombs or pagodas, wherever it may be, and no one. No one around. Not a, I'm the only one. Um, 
so that's been very, very nice. I'll go on these boat rides. I'm the only one. Um, so I would like to, to travel somewhere else, but I, I don't know where, because I'll, I, it's not even worth considering because anything could happen. And I really need to wait and see and allow travel to open back up and to make sure I can get back into the country because we're not here. We're not there yet. Yeah. We're still locked down, With essentially. The, the travel restrictions due to COVID. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to tell mm-hmm. us about you or your work? About me? or um, No, my, you know, I, I left New York not realizing this would be my end all. But what I've really learned is how important traveling is. Uh, so I d- would definitely like to impart on others the importance of traveling and how much you can get out of it and how much you should do it. And it's very difficult to, to convince people of what a great experience it is. But I'm hoping that for me, I'm thinking my platform might be my book to expose people to for Vietnam, how different and unique it is. And then in addition to that, I'd like to try and figure out a way to, and I'm working on it, how to actually connect with people to to make them understand that it's such an amazing experience. And why would they not want to at least try it versus vacationing? Why would they not at least want to, to experience this? So I'm still trying, I'm still working on that. But I, for me, what I would want them to learn or take away is, is hopefully pique their interest into traveling. And is there a release date yet for your cookbook? No, no. Um, and you will be my guide with that one. No, the, um, no, we're in the, we're still in the, the editing. Okay. So we we're thinking the end of the year, but if anyone wants to know, they can go on my website and they can, I can, they can give me their ad, email address. I can let them know or connect with me on Twitter. Okay. And, and your website is? Very unique. PaulBKennedy.com. PaulBKennedy.com. So PaulBKennedy.com. For those of you who are interested in getting more information, please visit his website, PaulBKennedy.com. It was great Creative. to have you on the show, Paul. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Curious Professor podcast. Thank you for having me. It was great to um, speak with you. And now for the answer to this episode's trivia question. How many ethnic groups are there in Vietnam? Vietnam is considered a multi-ethnic country with 54 recognized ethnic groups. We'll end the show with something punny. Where does broccoli go for a night out? A salad bar. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Curious Professor podcast. If there's a person, place, artifact, or natural wonder that has sparked your curiosity and you'd like for me to feature it on the show, please let me know. My website is thecuriousprofessorpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe to the Curious Professor podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to become part of my community of curiosity seekers, be sure to visit my website, thecuriousprofessorpodcast.com, and join Dr. B's Hive. Until next time, always be learning and be curious with Dr. B.